Good morning. What's going on, everybody? Uh, I'm Ben. Uh, thanks for tuning in to uh, this podcast. It's a little bit of a longer one. Had a really good conversation with my friend Mohammed yesterday. Um, he's helping me work on this app, Breathe. We've been building together, and we also both work at the same company. So we've gotten a, a chance to really get close with each other and get to know each other really well, and we have these kinds of conversations even without a microphone. So um we enjoyed just like sitting down and for the first time recording one of these and it ended up being like an hour and 45 minutes long so even though we didn't plan to make it super long it just kind of organically happened so i hope it's not too long for you but you know the way i listen to these podcasts is just kind of breaking them down into 10 15 20 minute chunks when i'm either uh doing some work or commuting or uh something like that so don't feel the need to listen to the whole thing at once just feel free to break it down and um, this conversation was brought to you once again by MixMax.com. MixMax is a Gmail extension for Chrome users, and it really makes your email just a lot better. Uh, a couple really cool things they introduced recently is the ability to get uh, reminders when someone hasn't read your email yet. So it makes sure like it doesn't just go into this uh, endless void of uh, nothing and that you can actually get some closure on some email interactions, especially if you're in a business that requires reaching out to people, cold emailing sales, I think you'd really appreciate that functionality. And then the other thing is for people that are uh, meeting with other people all, a lot and you have to do a lot of uh, Google Calendar coordinating, MixMax just built in the ability to send a calendar invite directly inside of the Compose message, whereas you used to previously only be able to send uh, availability and now you can actually send the actual calendar invite in the in the email and that makes sure both parties know when you're meeting where you're meeting and they can accept directly inside of the thread you've already been talking to them on so that's just way easier than having to to do multiple things to, to set up meetings and uh that's about it so thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoy the conversation see you soon bye all right so i'm sitting here with my friend mohammed islam uh mohammed how's it going it's going great are you having a good day? It is. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny and warm outside. And uh, yeah, yeah, pretty good day. We're, we're sitting at a beautiful coffee shop and there might be a little uh, noise in and out if someone scores a goal in the uh, U.S. National Women's Team World Cup that's happening in a Mexican bar right behind us. But it is beautiful outside, so we wanted to enjoy the weather. And Mohammed and I have been, uh, we've known each other since, when did we meet? We met, I think, about probably a little bit more than a year ago, a year and four months. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a couple of months into work uh, that, like, I saw you, I think, or maybe a couple of weeks, actually. And I met you when I came to San Francisco after shutting down my startup, and I came out, and I was trying to figure out what to do next, and I met with someone at Life360, probably right around the time you were getting started. Yeah, yeah. I, I was also uh, working independently for a while and I heard that you had like your own, uh, you know, you built your own app and all that stuff. So I had a lot of questions for you and, and I, I think I did like kind of uh, throw a bunch of questions at you in that first like 10 minutes that we met and you gave me your card and all that stuff. And, and then a f like a month later I saw you and I was like, oh, hey, get to talk some more. Yeah, I was really surprised when I actually started working at Life360 a couple months after that, you still had my business card on your desk. Right. And I was like, wow, I haven't, that's very unexpected. But we did hit it off that first time we talked. I felt like we were uh, both kind of uh, new to this scene out here in, in some ways and trying to 
I think we both sensed that each other were working on something interesting and we're just kind of curious where we were in our like individual journeys. Um, and you are right now still basically uh, in the same role that you were in when we met originally, right? Right, so I'm a, a iOS a mobile developer at uh, Live360 and I've been doing iOS for a while specifically. I did a little bit of Android and all that stuff. So I came in um, after about maybe only like a year and a half of experience in like solid iOS. So I was, I was pretty, I was starting off like my career uh, while when we first met. Mm -hmm. And you had also built some uh, other apps on the side uh, as you were getting smarter on iOS development and uh, before and while you've been at Life360, right? Right. Um, like, my full history is in. I've been doing engineering, software engineering, for like five years professionally before that. But it was very low level. I worked at Honeywell and it was um, a lot of like drivers and, and dealing with hardware and, and all that stuff so then I kind of switched gears moved over here to like kind of a higher pace software development more cutting edge uh, had to deal with like um, kind of it's it's uh, it's it's kind of funny like how little knowledge I actually still have about this industry uh, because you know uh, there's there's just so many out there so many things like uh, about the internet that that I, I, I feel like very few people actually know about uh, and, and how it runs, and I'm still learning. But a lot of the other iOS developers that I meet out here, Android developers, I feel like there's, um, sometimes it feels like there's uh, a pressure on some of the developers out here to pretend like they know a little bit more than they know. And I never get that vibe from you. I get I get the sense that even though you know, you're, you're definitely one of the top developers, or mobile developers at least at Life360, and um, but you still have this attitude of learning and needing to, to consume more information and to really continue to expand your skill set. And I'm curious, like, what, what drives that need of yours to feel like where you are is, is not like good enough and you have to keep adding skills and, and learning more? Because I, I guess maybe because um, I had a few mentors in my life. And so, like one of the one of the things about a really good mentor is that they are like very like a few steps ahead of you all the time. And so, so to try to get to you know their level is a constant journey, and they're always growing at the same time. And like I'm always trying to catch up. Um, and and a lot of the uh, the commonalities between between the mentors that I've had is that it's not exactly about the, the specific language or the specific tool or the specific technology, but about more of how to approach it. Like, how do I think about this? How long am I going to spend thinking about this? What kind of stuff am I going to think about this problem? Is it going to be the, am I going to implement the first solution that I come across or am I going to think about it a little bit more? Am I going to be stuck in my ways? Like, oh, I implemented this solution in this way, so I'm just going to stick to that forever. It's 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 very soft, you know. It's like uh, you have to deal with your ego and your psychology and all mm. that stuff. And so, like, that's what kind of um, interests me more. And so, I guess I don't maybe. Um, so, like, I feel like I don't really know that much because I'm not really interested in in that stuff. It's like being. It's like saying that. Uh, um, 
uh, I'm interested in the journey rather than the destination sort of thing. And I feel like a lot of people are interested in des that destination mm -hmm. because it has it has certain payoffs. You know, you get a better job, you get a better pay, you get better recognition. Um, but I guess I guess I'm I'm trying to do something different. Uh, I'm not really trying to just get a better job or a better pay. I, I want to create a product, a better product. What does that mean? What does a good product mean? I want to build a business. What is a good business? You know, I want to have great employees. I want to be a great employee myself. What does that mean? So those are the things that I kind of like deal with on a day-to-day -day basis versus like, oh, this technology is out there and, you know, this new thing with JavaScript that they're doing these days. And all of that is, is uh, I feel like I'm still like a novice in it because I don't really care. Hmm. And, and if I was a uh, an aspiring iOS developer, uh, probably maybe in my early days of learning how to code, or maybe I have uh, I know how to code on a more of a web level, and I'm trying to to apply that skill set to mobile development. What would you say is something that maybe I should? Um, what is like maybe some noise going around the uh, mobile development ecosystem that might benefit me to like? Um, to ignore and then what do you think might be something that would benefit me to really pay a little bit closer attention to um, these days so a lot of um, so there's 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 software development right and then there's software engineering so like in software development for example um, you're worried about the actual results of what you're doing and and that result is dependent on like how much you know about that specific technology that you're using. So for me, for like iOS development, there's a iOS is, is basically a combination of Cocoa frameworks and a bunch of other things. And, and to be able to like fully understand the entire iOS platform, it, it'll take me like quite a few, you know, maybe a definitely a few months, maybe a few years to like fully understand the breadth and width of like what is available in the Cocoa framework. And that helps me in developing an iOS product, right? And then there's engineering, which, which is kind of like, uh, which is kind of like the foundation that that like you use to actually like build build the the product. Everyone everyone who does any sort of development, you know, does the same things that an engineer does. But again, like I said, like an engineer, I feel like thinks about you know a little bit differently about like you know what exactly is this product supposed to do and how it's supposed to behave and all mm. that stuff. So like to to answer your question about like the noise, you know, um, it is difficult to answer that question because both are very useful you know and both are kind of very noisy so like as a developer right if I'm I've, I've met I've met engineers who are so engineering if that's the word <laughs> that I could just create right now that they never actually finish developing their product and they they're so like involved in that that you know one extra modification or that little like so you know improvement yes they're being perfectionist but they're only being perfectionist because they can like they know what's out there what is there to optimize and so like a lot of the things is is more like uh, managing opportunities like you have all these opportunities as an engineer because you're aware of like timing constraints and this and all of all of that stuff and so you want to optimize for all, all of those because that's your domain mm. and then I've met developers who you know really don't care about any of that and they just want to like 
pack it together and they want to get it working and they want it out in people's faces to like you know do everything with and like they'll fix all the bugs later and afterwards and, and all that kind of stuff and like both are useful obviously and both are detrimental and like how far you go mm. so it's more like which noise do you want to cancel out at which moment that's that's more of like the trick to being like a good overall developer I feel like so if you take our project uh, that we recently launched uh, breathe mm-hmm. um, which I can explain in a second actually I'll just explain it now uh, Mohammed and I launched with another friend an app called breathe about probably let's see two and a half months ago and we 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 didn't really um, overbuild it. We definitely went with a very, uh, the minimum type of product that we could just put out there and get people to start using. And what it really is, is a very simple mindfulness reminder application. So for me, for example, I get really like, I get in the flow sometimes at work and I forget to really take a deep breath. And what that causes is this um, persistent anxiety sometimes or, st- or stress. And it kind of like makes me, uh, it, it decreases my overall productivity, even though I might be super productive for an hour or two at a time. And for me, it was gonna, it was designed to help me just take more breaks throughout the day and just chill for a few seconds and regather my thoughts. And I told Mohammed about this idea. And um, so I'm going somewhere with this, but I'm curious, when I first brought up the idea to you, what, what went through your thoughts from both a conceptual uh, user perspective and uh, or a potential user perspective and from the thoughts of kind of what might be uh, difficult about building it and what might be like the easy part. Right. Um, so the idea for Breathe has actually been in my mind for a while. At least the fundamental aspect of reminders, random reminders, because I'm I am sort of like an interrupt-driven person. I don't plan well, I, I don't stick to plans well. And so it's more like, you know, I prioritize things as they come. Um, and so, so for me, um, one way of growing would be to be reminded of certain things to remember. Like, oh, remember to breathe, or remember to, you know, take time out. Uh, remember to, uh, you know, check your account balances and, and you know balance your your checkbook sort of thing uh, kind of like a motherly like I like it, it, it almost helps me to have like a mother nagging me every <laughs> once in a while not too much just the perfect amount right and so I always I, I, I've been in the space of when I was doing my own own stuff it's uh, I really like the domain of utility apps utility ha- apps to like kind of help you with that small aspect of your life it's not a very uh, lucrative domain um, but I feel like I get that personal joy when I myself can use that app and like gain something from it and I'm like oh you know I have 200 other users or 300 other users or even thousands of other users who are using it it's I'm helping the world I feel like in the, mm-hmm. in, in the small part well one of the utility apps that I thought of really early on is like oh can't I just create reminders for myself and just say remind me about this 10 times a day or 10 times a month, you know, like very flexible sort of like timing schedule to like kind of, you know, remind me like, like for example, balancing my checkbook, I'd want that once a month or two times a month. Uh, remembering to breathe, I'd want that like maybe 10 times a day, things like that. So like everything has a variation. And so I've had this idea in my head. Then also from working on my own things for a while, I realized that all the energy that I put into something by myself kind of disappears very quickly through this very leaky bucket of 
reality, you know, like the way the world works sort of thing. And so my, my contributions to my own apps weren't adding up to a total sum as fast as working with even just one other individual. When you work with even with just one other individual, both of your contributions kind of like, it's like, a, it's like trying to walk through quicksand, you know? And like if you have two people walking, or I don't know what the right analogy is, mm -hmm. but I think, I think you get it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so when you came along with the idea for Breathe, it, it kind of was like the best of both. You had someone and yourself willing to like, you know, focus time and attention on this small product, a utility product that I have, you know, huge interest in. Um, and so that's what kind of like really, like, I remember when you told me about the idea, I said yes, like as soon as you stopped talking, I think, <laughs> uh, that I wanted to do this. As far as like the challenges, um, I guess, I guess because lately I've been so product focused that I didn't want to really take on an, a very large engineering challenge. And uh, a reminder app didn't seem like much of a large engineering challenge. And I didn't really foresee any like huge, um, huge roadblocks to like what was possible. I knew what was possible on iOS. We had local notifications and push notifications and we have alarm apps and all sorts of stuff like that. So there, it's possible to do it, it's just how to do it. Um, one of the earlier like engineering challenges that I came across right away was the reminder and setting the reminders and dismissing the reminders properly. And that's still that's still an ongoing challenge that I'm I'm still trying to work through, and that's that's one of the the things to kind of keep in mind about um, developing a product, and it kind of goes back to that you know uh, keeping that balance between engineering something and actually developing something, and so you have to kind of uh, fail and be okay with failing uh, in your first attempt. Um, and then also like kind of have the courage to even release that failure to the public mm -hmm. um, as long as it's not like a huge failure that causes like you know uh, two-star reviews and crashes all over the place and everything like that. And, and it's like and it's actually the worst case scenario is not getting like a bunch of two-star reviews the worst case scenario is like crickets right like getting nothing right um, and for me I think I told you and, and Will that when we get this out there I said this first version that we get out, I'll be happy if we can get feedback from 10 users. Right. Like if we can just get 10 people to use it regularly and give us feedback. So I think it was, um, I think you made the right decision to not over-engineer it in the beginning because the goal was to get feedback from 10 people. Right. And we didn't set like a lucrative, like this ridiculous milestone of getting like a thousand users, even though we've had uh, over uh, 500 people installed it since we launched it and we haven't really done anything to get that I mean we've posted some stuff on our blogs and but we haven't been featured and we haven't done any paid marketing so the the ironic part is that I thought if we got a hundred people we would easily get 10 people to give us feedback right but we have 500 users or 500 people have installed um, Specifically, the number that we've been tracking is how many of them have enabled reminders, which is the last step of our onboarding process. And we've had 500 people do that. And not only have we not heard, uh, we, ho we heard from one user who wanted a different sound alert. And other than that, even though we did a push through Parse, we didn't hear any feedback. 
And to me, that like for, that's been the one of the biggest learnings so far from it. Um, we'll go back to the, the engineering component in a second, but I think that one of the most interesting learning experiences for me so far has been that how hard it is to get people to say anything to you about your app. Right. Um, friends don't really count. Like I think you and I have both had friends tell us what they think about it, and maybe some coworkers that we we work with at Life Three Sixty, but. For the most part, what you're really trying, what you should try to optimize for, probably, is like a normal person giving you feedback. And I feel like it's been that's been a challenge because we want to use that to make the product better. And and I've I've had other smaller products, and and that's always that's it's it's a numbers game. So like this is when you have to like put on your product or your marketing hat and be like, okay. Yeah, we spend a lot of time in making sure that the user has the right experience, but then at the end of the day, people are people, and it's statistics, you know. So, so like, how many? What percentage of your total population are going to take this action? And for me, uh, like, thinking about the action of actually responding or like, you know, emailing something or going to the app store to like leave a review that actually like writes something. Every single one of those steps you lose, you know, ten or twenty percent and by the time you get to that final step you you I don't know. If I if I saw like one percent at that step, I would be like really happy. One percent of five hundred people would have been five people by now. Mm -hmm. I think we have like maybe three good yeah. like you know people <laughs> like maybe one person. Had like eleven of, ratings in the store, but you know right. a lot of those are our friends. Right. So right. We've, yeah, maybe heard from three strangers. <laughs> right. Right. So like less than less than one percent, which is actually I feel like it's normal at this scale, in a way, and uh, and we're used to I think like. At least I'm used to working in companies where you have um, millions of users, and so like as soon as you make a change, you're gonna get like thousands of feedbacks. But that thousand is still like less than a percent of like a million. Like I don't know, you're you're in customer service, so like how much how much would you say is a percentage of feedback versus like total users? Uh, without disclosing like percentages of total user base and stuff, we get uh, about 500 emails a day, 100 phone calls. Um, so we parse all that into uh, a lot of it is like bug fixes and general questions but once in a while we'll get a feature request and we uh, aggregate the feature requests and we regularly sync up with the product team to like, right. give them that feedback and one of the fundamental uh, tensions in product development in general is that there are multiple different streams from which product suggestions and feature, new feature uh, development ideas come from. Right. You have the founding team, you have the actual product managers, you have engineers like yourself, you have customer support, and then you have like uh, the board members send suggestions, like the average, uh, maybe like someone's spouse that works at the company will spend, uh, send suggestions. So there's all these different channels, and for us, I mean, we've, we, I think one of the guiding principles that we've used so far is does this suggestion or does this um, feature request benefit us directly as users? So we're trying to use ourselves as test cases and I think we're still at the stage where we should be building it for ourselves but it's still really tough because it feels like you're working in a vacuum if you don't get enough um, interaction from people that are outside of the three of us. Right, right. And, and I feel like I think you're the one who pointed this out to me is that yeah maybe at this stage it is it is supposed to be more about us and like what does this product and like how does this product fit with us 
versus like how does this product fit with everyone else and it's it's almost counterintuitive to say because like everyone will tell you like yeah you create a product for people to use and so you need to find out what people want and then give them what they want sort of a thing and and I've heard that I've heard that um, advice countless of times and it's it kind of every single time I hear it it always goes against my normal grain of like yeah but if I don't see a value in it why should I build it why should I like you know put it out there and like do I really like am I really gonna get that same feeling from people using so for example I have one product out there that I don't use it's called a uh, kung fu movie and uh, and uh, fart movie it's basically <laughs> the same thing yeah but just different sounds different assets I didn't actually build it it was one of my mentors who actually built it and and I was kind of like helping him uh, market it and do all the PO and all that stuff so we kind of worked on it together but he did main, mainly all the coding um, but I don't use it he doesn't use it either and so what happened there what happened was it actually got high usage it, it you know has maybe like uh, I don't know the numbers but it, 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 it did it is still doing a lot better than any of my other apps but uh, but I'm not upkeeping it I don't really care about it um, and the people who do use it I don't feel like they care about it either it's mm. it's just a gimmick that they use and then they're done now what I'm really passionate about um, is this app that I'm reworking right now called Time Trainer and and that's an app that I use regularly because I exercise regularly and I feel like lots of people would benefit from it I and mean, if they exercise in this way there's a lot of value and all that stuff like Tabata training and and uh, CrossFit and things like that they're all interval timing you know training sort of thing and they can just find it in the App Store Time Trainer yeah you can find it in the App Store uh, right now it's it was basically the first app I ever built on my own and so uh, it speaks to the novice uh, development so uh, don't expect so much from it um, <laughs> but you're doing you're giving it a complete overhaul after about two years that you haven't really right, uh, changed right. it right right exactly and 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 it's been on the back of my mind because I want to use it I like using it and so like yeah there are I feel like again it's a numbers game if I find something that I feel useful I'm sure there's at least a few other people out there that will also find it useful but like how many and that's that's where I think like maybe the due diligent research that I haven't been doing that's what I should be doing because again it's an opportunity cost I could be working on time trainer versus all these other things that could actually have a huge market fit versus time trainer um, but you know I'm, I guess I guess right now I it's it's not my focus isn't to actually get that you know home run it's more to kind of you know still grow and understand what a product is and kind of have my own like kind of set of products that I use myself I use breathe you know uh, quite often myself I use time trainer I use a few of my apps myself and to, to bring it back to breathe um, what are some of the main differences in the workflow that you have as a developer when you're working on your own app just alone like for example with time trainer versus working on breathe like what are some of the things like what are some of the pros and cons of uh, just as far as like your workflow, productivity, schedule when it comes to building um, with a designer and uh, kind of like a product manager like what I'm doing right. and just like kind of doing everything yourself. Right. So, so 
Breathe, I think we built in a month and a week or something like that. Something like 45 days from idea to launch. Right, right. And um, it's actually really fast. It is. It is really fast. Uh, but one thing, one thing to keep in mind is that we specifically designed that first release of Breathe to kind of be uh, what other other people would call a beta. Yeah. Um, and and with any product development, I feel like. Okay, maybe not any product development, but with software product development, usually what happens is that 80% of your full functionality is done in like 20% of the first time. So I think we got, I, 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 I think I got fully functional prototype of Breathe out to you, uh, 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 like a beta version through test flight in like a week. Mm -hmm. And and then it took like five weeks after that to like do everything else. Um, now contrast that to to if it was working by myself, something like Breathe would have taken maybe I would say three months maybe from end to end. Um, and it's it's not three months full time. Obviously, this was very part time. Mm -hmm. I was working an average of maybe like I would say like one and a half hours a day on it. Um, like fully, you know, committed one and a half hours, and and out of that one and a half hours, within like uh, 45 days, we got one product out. By myself, it would have probably taken twice to three times that uh, length of time, and it wouldn't have looked as good, and it wouldn't have probably had. It definitely wouldn't have functioned as well. It would have been. Um, like the vacuum that, that you mentioned earlier, uh, but at least at least we're in this vacuum together, <laughs> versus yeah. this vacuum by ourselves. And I've developed products where it's just you and yourself and your mind working. And and what happens is that you uh, there's a there's a term in, in marketing where um, you what's what's it called? Uh, you you give a price and then you anchor them, it's anchoring. Mm -hmm. Like you get anchored on an idea or a, or a user flow or a user like like a solution. And you, you can't kick yourself out of that anchor until someone else with, with a totally different mind like says something that, that like, you know, gives you an epiphany like, holy crap, like mm -hmm. I could do this so much better, so much easier in this way versus that way. And so like you need that uh, to, to grow and, and, and to like create a really good product. Yeah, and I think that we've had, um, even though the three of us like the idea and chose to put our time into it, we're three different types of people. And I think that was one of the main appeals, uh, to me at least, in the beginning is, wow, um, Mohammed, Will, and I are different types of people, but we still see the value and we would want to use this, which has to somewhat indicate that there are other people out there that would be interested. Whereas I feel like if you're just building something alone, you're, you're, um, your likelihood of being overly biased to your own perspective is out of whack. Right. Um, right. And even though we're three different people, we're still, um, there's actually been no major like arguments or anything about what the product is. We've had small differences, maybe about the timing of, of when to build certain things. But for the most part, I feel like we're at the point now where we've uh, been using it for a couple months, two or, uh, over two months and we're in the process of deciding what goes into 2.0, which would essentially kind of be like you said, what would really be the major real launch. <laughs> right. Up to now, we've had uh, 1.0, 1.1, and 1.2, uh, 
Um, main things that we've changed between versions were things like building in a feedback button, building in the ability to send more robust push notifications, redoing the timing mechanism, and then um, just kind of changing some animations and um, like the onboarding flow, changing like how we actually acquire and activate users. Yep. Um, yeah, and 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 I feel like that diversity. Um, we haven't we haven't butted heads, but I do feel like we're we're uh, we're paying that cost that most people I've seen pays up front. Um, it's great that we have a product out there, um, and so it's a lot better that we actually launch something. But right now is where I think people would normally get stuck without even having a public product. They would be like, oh, but we should make it do this. Oh, we should make it do this. Or what about, you know, save that for later. This is more important. And so, like, um, that's, that's the kind of cost I feel like we're paying right now. And to overcome that cost, I think it's, it's um, we, we are definitely three different kinds of people. And we definitely have, you know, three different kinds of viewpoints, and even like three different kinds of ways of like using the app ourselves. And I think that's an opportunity because if we could solve that problem together, then I feel like our marketing market is three times larger than we would have done just individually ourselves. Mm. And and usually, like what I find with any product development or design is, is like you you need that long span of conflict before you come across this very simple solution that you know you kind of feel almost at the end of the day like stupid for not thinking of that first but I feel like that conflict is necessary and we're paying that cost right now it's a good cost to pay um, and I feel like if we still keep up the energy and like we keep like you know tackling these problems and like how to let you know like give everyone basically a little bit of what they want without without you know um, sacrificing our core values or what we feel like we're really trying to accomplish in the human race then I think I think like we, we could have a very successful 2.0 that that I feel like would be extremely valuable and stay valuable for people throughout time. Where do you see the role of our Apple Watch uh, uh, app playing uh, in 2.0 relative that it's uh, to what it's played now? So on the way here, we were talking a little bit about some of the new features that we're going to be able to take advantage of in uh, the uh, OS 2 for the right. Apple Watch that we haven't been able to, such as like heart rate monitoring, maybe some Wi-Fi, more robust uh, animations for notifications. Um, so like, how important do you think um, continuing our development of our Apple Watch app is to, to the overall kind of like experience of a Breathe user? So like one, uh, there's two very critical things about the Apple Watch that I think like we could take advantage of and it would actually be useful because Honestly, like the Apple Watch that we have right now is, is sort of useful. So you get notifications anyways on your watch. Uh, you don't really need an Apple Watch app to uh, receive notifications. Um, so the two things, one uh, is uh, heart rate. And I'm not exactly sure like how that's going to play out with uh, um, Apple Watch OS 2.0. Um, whether they're going to allow us. Obviously, you're going to have to get permission from the user to, to access HealthKit. Uh, but like how useful is that information because some of the things that we want to do uh, is more of like real time or at least like on a daily basis you know like oh today your heart rate was this versus yesterday and this is you know these are the kind of changes 
So I'm, I'm hoping that there's, you know, room to, you know, use that data to, to you know, give our, give our uh, app a little bit more personalization. And I feel like that's where the industry is heading towards. It's like this, you know, wearable personalization sort of a thing. And contextual reminders, right? And contextual reminders, which brings me back to the second point. So uh, one, of the, uh, one of the limitations of reminders on the iPhone is that you have to swipe to the left to see all the contextual actions that you could take with that uh, reminder. But the Apple Watch has a dynamic notification where you could, where the user will see right away that there is other actions that they could take. Mm. They could, you know, go into the watch and maybe like join some sort of like breathing exercise, or they could just say like, "Yes, I did take a breather this time," or "No, re uh, like leave me alone for the next hour," and like different options that we could take advantage of. And like those are going to be very powerful. And with the Apple Watch, it it brings it in the face of the user versus them having to like left swipe and, and discover this ability mm. or us having to onboard them onto this ability and usually like the left swipe contextual thing it's again it's a it's a numbers game and i feel like it's it's in like you know that one percentile of use uh versus like all the different other use cases of your application and so like that 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 is something that i feel like we could definitely take advantage of and it'll be very useful for breathe yeah, I, I think there's there's an ongoing uh, part of me that just wonders how useful, how do you actually measure the effectiveness of Breathe when it comes to, because we don't want to build something that's not going to directly impact how effective the app is or how helpful it is. And the thesis behind uh, tapping into heart rate is right now you only set it up hourly so you say like what between what times of the day do you want to get a certain number of breathers like a, a reminders and then it's up to you what you do when you get those whereas we want to maybe say hey like if your heart and there's a correlation between taking a deep breath and your heart rate coming down right and generally speaking having a lower heart rate is is healthier because you're making your heart work less hard and I think that the real opportunity is in creating a way to leverage people's just normal behavior to become more aware of their breathing and their heart rate and therefore make them healthier and ideally live longer. Um, so even though our app sounds like this kind of, I mean, I've definitely talked to people that say, yeah, what, do you need like a reminder to breathe? Like you don't remember how to breathe? And of course, we all breathe, we'd be dead if we didn't. But when it comes to the deep breathing, I actually don't see that many people stop and take a deep mm -hmm. breath throughout the day and I haven't even done it much in, the, in this conversation. Most people aren't even aware of it. Like there's, um, I feel like knowing that there's something, um, knowing that you're anxious all the time is something that I feel like a lot of people aren't really aware of until they, you know, maybe try it, you know, try meditation be like, oh, well, I can't. I can't really not focus on like everything else going around me. I can't just, you know, quiet quiet my mind. And I, I feel like yeah, leveraging like like teaching first of all, like teaching the value of breathing. Like you pointed out, I think it's it's a it's a big educational hurdle. 
um, and I think that's 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 gonna affect like our market base of like how many people like will use it because people might not even understand the concept of like why would I ever use your app you know like it doesn't make any sense to me I don't need to take moments out of my life to you know I'm fine just the way that I am um, and it was definitely a learning process for me. And, and another thing why I, I was interested in this is because I have had experience in trying to figure out how to like control my mind and, and you know be more disciplined and be better about you know like uh, being in the now and being in the present and all that stuff. Hmm. Sorry to interrupt. No, you weren't interrupting. I, that was helpful. I was just kind of like thinking out loud, and I think that I'm I'm excited to see where it goes, and I think. We should, now that I'm thinking about it, we should really try to go back to building for ourselves. And I, I think like we opened ourselves up to some outside feedback. And I think we, I, we almost, I, I at least felt a little disappointed that we didn't get as much feedback as we wanted. Right. Um, and I think that it, was, it wasn't like we were continuing to build an amazing product that we liked and getting feedback at the same time. I feel like we almost like, took a little break to like, get, let the feedback come in. And we never like got that wave of feedback, and maintaining the momentum is uh, very important. But um, what, what to you, like, what is one of the um, main challenges of? Because I remember you said something interesting um, when I was asking you about the pros and cons of uh, developing alone versus developing on a team, and you said that uh, you said something about how life just gets in the way right um, what does that mean to you when it comes to your work and, and maintaining momentum on certain projects and how, how do you you know given given the various apps that you've developed and the various things you've worked on what are some things that you've learned about yourself when it comes to maintaining momentum and not losing um, the certain the interest in a project um, it's kind of a vague question, so just take it wherever you want to go with it. So with with the maintaining the momentum, it's it's for me it's it's very emotional, um, and I and and it's emotional and it's also like that. Uh, uh, I'm the kind of person that that loves that point where it's eighty percent done, you know, and like. Or, or or 60% done. You just have to do a little bit of extra work, and all the like, you know, hard parts are, are are taken care of, and you just have to put it together, and you have to show it to someone, and like delight them, and, and all that stuff. So like, that's what I get the Jones from. And so like, to be able to um, use that as like a carrot uh, to drive me forward through those uh, through those moments where it's like homework. Where it's like, okay, I gotta fix this bug today, and I gotta fix that <laughs> bug tomorrow, and then I gotta, you know, implement this thing. And I mean, you don't like fixing bugs. I, I. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone like fixing bugs? There's, there's certain bugs. Again, there's, there's bugs that are like when you get to like, oh, I understand what this bug is, and you have that like 60% or 70% done. <laughs> then it's not a bug anymore. It's just a feature that needs to be completed properly, yeah. right? And, and so again, that carrot comes back, and so like. So it's it's a uh, um, there's Sorry, there's I interrupted you. That's fine. There's there's uh, there's something that I, I heard uh, a while back. It's very powerful. It's um, you live into the future, right? That 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 like you're you're imagining for yourself. Like most people think that we live uh, our our what we are and the kind of people that we are and how we feel, especially, is based on what happened in the past. Mm. Um, but it's it's. And, and it's and it's always seems that way that oh you know 
I feel this way because that happened. Um, but really, when you do analyze it, it's more about what's going to happen in the future that kind of, at least for me, makes me feel a certain way. Um, and, and so to keep in mind that final vision of like, what is this product uh, could be for someone in this version? And then also, what is this product? What could this product be for someone in future versions where it's like fantastic and amazing and it has everything that I wanted to do? And so like you mentioned like, oh, what if we could like take the heart uh, information and kind of analyze it and actually show people that there is a, is a benefit that they could, they, they're actually gaining seconds of life by, by their heart you know, rate being uh, so much slower because of our app, you know? That's amazing, that's awesome. I wish I wish we could get there. And there's engineering challenges that the engineering in me cringes like, holy crap, you know, like statistical analysis of like heart rate data. That's not gonna be, that's not gonna <laughs> be easy. But it's, it's, uh, it's inspirational. And, um, and so keeping that in focus uh, when doing it really helps in at least personally keeping up the momentum. Um, the other thing that kind of gets in the way of a momentum uh, and, and to like, you know, make sure that, that like, you know, that this doesn't like, you know, uh, cause you to kind of stop in your tracks or slow down too much is being clear on like why or being clear on why and how we're doing this. So like um, one uh, mantra that I like to keep in, in my mind while I'm developing is keep it clean, keep it simple, keep it clean, keep it simple. And, and if I can't uh, if I can't figure out how to like keep something clean I notice that like the dirtier the code is the more I'm like hesitant to get back in there and like fix it mm. and so I, I need to constantly keep it clean and keep it simple and the cleaner and simpler I make things the more like there's an endorphin rush into my head and I'm like oh crap you know I'm a great engineer I totally like <laughs> refactored this into like two lines of code or something like that you know like and that kind of thing so it's it's a uh, it's an emotional battle. Basically, what I'm saying is that momentum is all about emotions, mm. and uh, I agree. And and it's it's um, it's there's both more of a challenge and more of an opportunity when it's other people's emotions as well. Like sometimes, uh, like I would be afraid of like being in a partnership with someone because, well, you know, I'll have to deal with that person's emotions and that person's needs and wants and all that stuff. But there's opportunity there in that that person's emotions conflicts with your emotion enough so that you could actually like vibe and create something like beautiful together. I think like Steve Jobs once said that um, uh, he, he was retelling a story about like his childhood and there was this guy with some sort of like machine that would polish rocks and like that's how he, he equated to like team building is like you, you have them in conflict with each other and then at the end of all this conflict, at the end of all this rubbing and, 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 and all that stuff, you end up with these gems that are shiny and smooth and beautiful. Sort of mm. thing. And like that's how I kind of uh, think about it. Have you, uh, have you had situations in which you've had that friction going on in previous projects and previous teams that you were on when, uh, and then came out on the other side still not uh, fully polished with each other? Do you think there's just certain types of styles and philosophies as it comes to work that are just not compatible absolutely absolutely like I think uh, one I think we, we even talked about uh, setting certain ground rules uh, when we first started working on breathe or like early on um, 
and I, uh, from what I remember of those ground rules, one of them, which was very important to me, was that we, we, if we have a stand on something, then we have to show proof on why we have that position. Otherwise, you know, we have to kind of like take a step back and listen to our colleagues. And I think specifically what uh, what you said was. Uh, since there's three of us, uh, engineering, design, and product management, that whichever, or product management I'm just saying is everything that's not design and engineering I've kind of been doing. Um, and what we said was we can definitely debate and go back and forth about things that do not fall directly into our uh, lane, right. per se, but if something has to be made up, there has to be a final decision made about something, then the final say is going to go to the person who whose domain that's in. Right. So if right. it's an engineering um, um, question or challenge, then it falls to you. If it's design, it falls to Will. And if it's prioritization and stuff like that, then uh, me or how to how to publish the app or when to publish the app and right, stuff right, like that. Right. Um, and I think that was very beneficial. And we actually breathe is not the first. It's not the first project that got us to start having these conversations. I think. We started having these conversations. Um, I think we we were looking for something to work on together for a little while, yeah. and we didn't really find something that both of us were yeah. uh, interested in working on within our time constraints and skill sets. And I think there's something um, very interesting that happens when you share a certain, uh, a similar uh, work ethic and a similar philosophy um, about what you want to work on that you kind of create this environment for the right thing to happen. And then the moment you plant this seed in very uh, fertile soil, then then it kind of starts taking a life of its own. And I was even amazed at how fast Will got involved. And it seemed like it went from just me having an idea to telling Will about it, to telling you about it. And before you know it, we're sitting in a coffee shop and we're planning the first version. And I, I think there's, um, those are like, like you said, those are very um, emotionally charged, positive momentum moments. Right. And that energy sustains for a while. Right. And I think where we are now is that we're we're gearing up for that second wave of momentum. Right. And I think we've um, we've learned a lot about uh, setting expectations. We've learned a lot about um, maybe how to how to design uh, on the engineering side a little bit better when it comes to notifications. Right. I think we've identified where our core use case is for us at least, and um, <laughs> I think it's it's been it's a good learning experience. And I think looking at it as a learning experience is probably much better than looking at it as a definitive success failure type of thing because if every time you hit a bump in the road you look at it as like a momentum killing failure then you'll never really become successful. Right, right. And, and, and like all the anecdotes I've ever heard about uh, startups or like successful startups is that they have this like long journey that lasts for years sometimes, uh, at least like two or three years before they even like get their full first funding and all sorts of stuff. And like in between that time, they're basically like us and we're just kind of like, okay, we have a product, is it is a good market fit? Is anyone using it? Let's just change the product, let's do it, try it again. Let's let's keep like, you know, iterating, iterating, iterating until like until we hit like some sort of mass market or something like that. And it, it's it's also, you know, is this something that we even want to do with Breathe or not? And like those are the kinds of questions that are up in the air. And I think like uh, answering those questions 
um, is is gonna be that it's gonna be that learning process that you mentioned <laughs> that I, I feel like this is uh, this is the kind of stuff that that I wouldn't be able to no one learns in school right how to build a product how to build a product with the team how to start something uh, from from scratch what it takes you know what are all the mistakes that you could make mm-hmm. um, and so like learning what not to do is is probably you know like way more uh, <laughs> fruitful than like I, I sometimes joke with people that uh, that I joke with this uh, friend of mine who has a successful uh, um, uh, belly dancing thing. she's a belly dancer and like you know she does belly dancing she teaches classes and all that stuff and she's always been just good at it she took a class and then she started doing it she started making money and all that all sorts of stuff like that and I would tell her like you know, like this, all this success is just bad. Like you gotta, like you gotta fail. You know, at least like a few times before you hit that. Like what you're doing is basically like just setting yourself up for, you know, a small, uh, you know, payout where you have to fail like a few times. I mean, it's a joke, but I feel like it's true anecdotally. Like people fail so many times before they hit that big success. I, I just think like we're so we're so primed to even have the idea of failure and success from school and. Like, if you remove the concept of a grading scale in, in high school, in middle school, in elementary school, and even preschool, and, and you just imagine living all those years with a, am I learning or am I not learning philosophy, instead of a, did I get an A or did I get a B or did I get a C or did I get a D, you just kind of put the world into such a, a, a box, like every single thing is, has associated with it a success scale that when it comes time to do some real hardcore learning like you're doing in the real life like I'm doing like I did with my company like that was the ultimate F if I could get an F on something it was that but for some reason it felt like I had done more growing up and more learning than anything I'd ever done before and it was I remember that was one of the biggest mind fucks of the whole thing is that I was sitting there and I was like how does this feel like so bad even though I'm learning so much and like why does it feel like it's a challenge to position this amazing learning experience as a good thing when it's clearly a good thing but like on the outside it's it's a, it's a terrible failure um, it wasn't you know a massive failure in the sense that we lost millions of dollars or anything but like we did, we, we launched something and it just didn't take off it didn't stick it, it never got real customers and just the company fell apart and but I, I tell people I feel like I grew up five years like I got five years of learning in like one year of my life and I feel like it's, it's a shame that we we grow up in an educational system that makes you feel like unless you get an A per se or someone gives you a sign off or someone on the outside says good job then it's a failure so then I have a question for you so my personality uh, is very kind of safe you know so like what I would do is approach it like this well if I can if I can not plan but incrementally make small jumps like these small apps and these small utility things and these small like partnerships and all that stuff if I could work on those incrementally and yeah some might fail some might succeed whatever but I'm learning throughout the process then maybe that one day I'll make something big so that's my life philosophy but then some people would say like oh but if you're not going balls out then there's no point in trying so like what would you say like where would you fit well I used to believe uh, wholeheartedly in the balls out thing Um, but but I was I I believe that your circumstance in life and, and like what's happening in your life 
is very much directly correlated to what you feel like doing at a time. And for like, like very much like weather systems, like emotions are like weather systems and, and the decision to do something is, decisions are usually very emotional, they're not very logical. And the decision for me to like go all out and go big and quit my full-time job to start a company and, and literally leave San Francisco to move back to Florida and, and change my entire career trajectory from like being, I studied, uh, under, I got my bachelor's and master's in finance and I took an investment banking job and I went from that to being a generalist startup founder CEO in the fashion retail tech space with no fucking idea what I was doing. Um, that was an emotional decision because I had dis I had no other options. I felt kind of uh, I felt cornered into what I was doing. I felt like the momentum of the previous four or five years of my life, and arguably even going back into subconscious childhood territory, set me up to this point of wanting, thinking that being working on Wall Street was the success that like uh, being an investment banker whatever that meant at the time to me was the definition of success and there's a point when I was in my master's program that I had seriously considered uh, stopping it so that I could pursue my entrepreneurial uh, dreams but th that didn't really I didn't really know what that meant like what did that mean like study entrepreneurship or like that there it wasn't concrete so I kept, I, I had to pass on that because I didn't feel like I could actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. But then I, I took a job and, and there came a point about seven, eight months into my uh, full-time investment banking job where the opportunity became very concrete. I mean, there was money lined up from family. There was a very serious idea that we've been look, looking at for like nine months. I had two people that were willing to work on it with me. Um, and I honestly didn't really like what I was doing. I was working 80, 85 hours a week in a cubicle on pitch decks and uh, making a sell spreadsheets. So for me, the the decision uh, wasn't much of a decision at all. Actually, it was like kind of like the obvious thing to do, and it was clearly scary. But the alternative was way scarier. The alternative was I'm going to pass on this opportunity that is absolutely about to expire. I mean, we legitimately like said if we're not going to do this now, we're probably never going to do it. One of us dropped out of his master's program to do it. One of us quit his job and then I quit my job and moved back to Florida. And so three of us made very serious sacrifices in our lives. And we knew that if we didn't do it at that point that we were just gonna get deeper in our um, individual paths, mm -hmm. uh, that this idea would just dissipate. So uh, we did it and you know it was the definition of being thrown into the water and having to figure out how to swim. And, and having had that experience under my belt now, given where I am, given where we are working at a, an established company that's, uh, that's doing well and has a lot of, you know, lots of millions of users, is I don't feel a pressure to, to leave that job and pursue um, this, this idea or any other idea, really. I think that um, I've learned a, I've, I'm learning a lot about the value of, of balancing passion projects and side projects with having a full-time job and I think there's you can isolate the amount of learning that you're doing um, into smaller chunks like you're doing uh, however that said I kind of got smacked really hard by the reality of what it does mean to like literally um, abandon like burn the ships and like just take the island and like try and, and, and basically go big or go home and I, I got sent home and that meant for me, like, my parents don't have the money to, like, support me. So for me, that meant, like, the moment that the company ran out of money, I had to, like, swallow up my pride and get a job. And I don't really, uh, I don't wish that upon anyone because 
it takes uh, it, I, it, I'm still rebuilding my confidence and I'm still rebuilding my ego and it's done a lot of good for me on like a human level to become that humble and to get a reality check and to really learn how to who are the types of people you should work with and what are the types of markets that you should build something for and how should you feel about the project itself not just the idea of building a company like mm -hmm. I, I've become more attuned to my product self and my my feelings about why something should exist rather than other than the fact that I just want to build a company right and that's really what drove that uh, the showroom experience is I jumped into it because I wanted to build a company and I didn't want to do what I was doing at the time whereas now I don't mind uh, I like what I'm doing right now big picture I like working on this on the side so unless you feel um, cornered or you feel like you have no other options I would I would not say that you would benefit much from jumping full into it and it's it's uh, I don't know if there's like a real right answer or like a right answer now. It's probably a right answer now, just like you're saying, uh, versus like you know, yeah, you should always just you know go balls deep sort of a thing. Um, yeah, I think uh, there there was another thing that you brought up about like uh, energy and momentum, and I said like, uh, what what was I said? Like it's 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 like life kind of somehow takes the energy away from you and what I meant by that is I don't know, like I don't know exactly what I meant by that because it's it's, it's like, it's like osmosis in a way right yeah it's like you have this like, concentrated bubble of energy on this one thing and if you don't continue to focus it and keep it in, in the walls of the project and you don't right. continue to give it the nourishment and love that it needs then it just kind of spreads and that's 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 right? like a perfect like a, a, a flame right mm -hmm. and 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 I've tried to be my own candle and uh, I guess I'm not my wax isn't very flammable or, or it's not good feel uh, just by myself and so having like those those multiple sources of energy to like combine into it and um, and I think like when I when I when I actually do think about what what does it mean to really jump in to something like full out, uh, and we talk about this often mm -hmm. uh, because we we, I think we both have a feeling that success doesn't really come to people who aren't a hundred percent committed to like that thing. Agreed. You know, we we've heard enough stories of like passionately devoted people who like you know fight thick and thin through everything to like get to that point right and and I think like I totally subscribe to the idea that like unless you are that committed you're not gonna be able to get through those points in life where it's just not it feels like it's not worth it and I feel like having other people along with you for the ride uh, definitely like takes the edge off what do you think like you you jumped yeah. in balls deep and so did a few people mm -hmm. along with you like did it help or was it like yeah you still feel like you were alone well starting a company is always alone and it's and it's and it's alone being a founder even if you have a co-founder or two co-founders like I had it's it's a lonely process in in the obviously the the obvious ways like um, in the sense of like you're isolated from anyone that's not in the company and it's like you against the world that's the obvious one but the ones that wasn't so obvious to me until I did it were um, when you're so committed emotionally and financially to other humans you become a lot more aware of the relationship and and 
the different alignment and the different incentives and the different vision and the different goals that each of you have. And by definition, every human is different. And what happens is you You, you sometimes shy away from having difficult conversations because you're worried that you might hit on a sensitive deal breaker for that other person. And just like no one wants to have difficult conversations in their romantic conversations over like, you don't want to ruin the moment or you don't want right. to like, you don't want to like, if you don't really have a plan for like, you know, like we play chess together sometimes and like you don't really make a move unless you know at least like what you do to move after that. Like that was, it's just a bad way to play chess. It's like similar in that sense with partnerships and with every relationship really. It's like don't say something, you're worried about saying something if you're not exactly sure what the next thing is going to happen. And it's very hard to predict what the next thing is going to happen when you're in a partnership with someone because that feeling is mutual. You're both humans. You're both having the same exact internal weather system. Like it's a mix of what your parents think about what you're doing, what your significant other thinks what you're doing, how your bank account's looking, what career prospects you might be passing on by working on it, your internal doubts about the viability of the idea, the viability of the product, the market. Um, whether or not you have the right people to accomplish the task at hand, whether you even give a shit enough to overcome the obstacles. Like, there's all these factors that play into how you feel about building a company that, um, that, I forget your original question, but that, that those things are constantly at play in a partnership. And what was your original My, my question, question was like, did it help to have those other people, at least, you know, their commitment, did it help in those moments where you're like, oh, I'm, you know, this isn't going exactly the way that I wanted it to go or like any doubts it, it felt It felt good or it helped in the way that like if you're feeling cold, someone giving you like a blanket makes you feel a little better right now. But like if you're constantly cold, then that blanket, you're not going to carry the blanket around all the time, right? Like there does come a point where you have to put the blanket down and like you know take a shower put your clothes on go to work like th there's that time too right mm -hmm. and that actually is the majority of the time is like you're not with your found your co-founders all the time and you're definitely not in the same in the same headspace all the time like so for me i think the main takeaway about what how to view partnerships jumping into something full steam moving forward is to find people that First of all, it's got to be a hundred percent complementary skill sets. Like, and if not a hundred, it's got to be like. I totally agree. With you. It's it's like, um, complementary and definitely as few overlaps as possible. I've been in a partnership where it's like, um, you're an engineer, I'm a engineer, but I'm slightly less skilled of an engineer than you are, and there's this huge overlap, and then like, the the relationship just goes to shit after. If, if, yeah. Yeah, and, and and I so so I do see myself jumping into something full time again. But I think it has to be something I, I, I genuinely give a shit about. It's got to be something that the other people I work with on it give a shit about. Um, there's got to be the complementary skill sets. And there has to be like, I honestly think if I can't see myself working on it for five, ten years, yeah. it doesn't make sense to even enter the process. Yeah. And, and because anything less than that commitment is going to set you up to to be rocked, to be shaken by things that would otherwise just feel like little uh, bumps in the road. Right, and it's not um, 
just like word of warning, I guess, because I've done like small product development. Even small products are not gonna be like, oh, I'm just gonna get this done in three months and then it's over. Mm -hmm. It's it's like years of commitment. Like I've been working on this one product, like Time Trainer. It's it's been two years and it's been on my mind. And so, like you said, like if you don't feel like you can continue this for the long haul, then are you sure you want to get into it, sort of thing? Like if you're not, it's it's a, uh, I in a way, product development is the ultimate like. Uh, Commitment, uh, you know, uh, training. I guess. Yeah, know? people talk about entrepreneurship as being like uh, getting more free and like getting more freedom. In reality, it's like the opposite. You're shackling yourself to uh, space. You're shackling yourself to partnerships. You're shackling yourself to customers. Um, it's it's a lot of commitment. It's a ton of commitment. You can't you can you can quit your job and give two week notice and move to India if you want right now and right. like. If you're starting a company and you raised two million dollars, three million dollars, and you have people counting on you to pay their bills and feed their kids, you just can't do that. You have to like stick it out. And um, I, I, I'm a much more aware of the impact that you have as a founder on on getting people to work with you. I mean, I think someone asked me the other day, "What is the single most important leadership attribute that I took away from from starting Showroom?" And what it really was, was this ridiculously in, uh, intimate, personal uh, learning experience when it came to the impact that you can have as a human on other people. And uh, for me, it wasn't all positive. I mean, it was like a lot of, um, when you start a company and you get people to follow you or to work with you and drop what they're working on and put their day and night into helping you build something, uh, it's a serious responsibility. And it, just like every great response power that comes with great responsibility, you have the ultimate power in your specific domain in the company. And if you're not carrying your weight on the project or in the company, especially when the stakes are as high as working on it full time and paying your bills off of the company, then there's a very direct correlation between your work ethic and what the results you produce and the um, the entire psychological mind space of the other people mm -hmm. like you actually have the ability to make them happy and to make them sad and to make them upset and to you're you're, um, you're more, more vulnerable to other people at a much deeper level and because you are you but but it, it goes both ways I mean you'll you're vulnerable in the sense that they have a much higher chance uh, they have the higher ability to impact you in, in, a, in a negative way if they don't carry their weight but the result of amazing chemistry and people working together in a really positive way and this constant state of like every day we're making progress and every single day is better progress and you're working towards a common goal and you feel like your life is actually worth something because you're spending it on a worthwhile cause that results in something bigger than you could ever get at a normal job and uh, that's why people talk about entrepreneurship as such a roller coaster is because there's these moments where you literally feel like you're changing the world and you're you're making an actual impact on an entire billion or trillion dollar market or something or uh, if it's in if it's a biotech startup maybe p the potential of c making a breakthrough that you've cured cancer or AIDS or something but in tech it's obviously not that dramatic but it could be a bunch of other small incremental improvements yeah. in the economy Th those moments release such high levels of dopamine and they get you so 
uh, exhilarated and passionate about the thing that you just feel like the rest of the world stops existing. But then, and, and then something bad can happen. Like, like those moments could literally be as high as getting an email from a potential, for us it was like, we got, we got an uh, interest from uh, a first, uh, who we thought was gonna be our first customer and they had three high-end uh, 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 leather goods stores in the Northeast. And to us, I mean, we, we were beyond ecstatic that we were about to have actual customers. And we didn't really know how much they would pay us, we didn't know how, when they would pay us, we didn't know exactly what the implementation was gonna be like. But we got, holy shit, we got these, we, we built something that people want to use. And then we, the reality hits and you realize that it's not actually that person's decision to implement our software. Like there's, there's other stakeholders that have to okay it. And there's, these companies have their own purchasing cycles and there's like a reality to their business that you just have to fit into. And if you don't have the ability to fit into their business, before you know it, boom, the entire thing's gone. And now that bubble bursts and you're back to where you were like two, three weeks ago. And this entire vision of where the next six months would be based off of that email is now gone. And you have to reimagine the next six months without that even being an option. And it's a constant state of imagining the future and then reimagining the future as you go. And it's like nothing I've ever experienced. It's, it's so tumultuous that again the the risk of going into it, it, it i almost feel like it's you have to feel like i watched um when i went home uh, a few months ago my mom and i did something we had been wanting to do for like 10 years which is watch all three lord of the rings movies back to back and i remember in that very first lord of the rings movie i was when i first watched a, a fellowship of the ring i was too young to appreciate it but, and, I, and I was like, why is Frodo leaving the Shire? Like, it's so comfortable. Like, why is he going on this super dangerous journey? And this time, I, when I watched it, I, I realized, like, Frodo didn't have a decision. Like, you know, they can't, like, he had to do it. Like, there was nothing, there was no other option. It was either the world is destroyed or he has to go through this ridiculously risky and dangerous journey to get that ring back to the lava and Mount Doom and Mordor, right? Mordor. And that sense of mission is what got him through every single goddamn hour of the nine-hour trilogy. It's like every single time that they were walking and walking and getting stuck and going through stuff, there was that constant sense of if we don't get this ring to that lava, the world will end. And I feel like what I'm doing is I'm pursuing that sense of mission. I, I want to I wanna feel that compelled to make something that... All, that everything else will just be forgivable. Everything else will just be part of the process. Everything else will be um, the cost of doing business to get to this goal. And what I had the showroom is nowhere close to that. I mean, we were in a retail tech space. Like, even if you make the most amazing in incremental innovation in retail technology, or even if it's disruptive, what are you doing? Are you making anyone's life like that much better? Are you really like making the world a better place? No. So there wasn't really like a deep felt um, mission to that company and we made a decision to shut it down like why keep squeezing it out um, what we're doing at life 360 definitely goes in line with this I mean like you're I, I constantly hear from users that like they're finding their loved ones when they, they maybe they they have diabetes and they pass out on the side of the road or maybe like the some daughter goes to a party and the father has to save her because she had a drink too many like there's all these like superhuman personal um, 
use cases to the product that we're building at Life360 that makes me compelled to keep working on it, makes me want to see what happens to it, makes me want to keep getting it better. Um, but we're employees, right? So I think like at the end of the day, no one's under the impression we just don't live in an economy anymore where we're expected to spend the next 10 years at Life360. I think like everyone kind of understands that we're going to make the best contribution that we can make and when it's time to move on, it's time to move on and we've seen a bunch of our coworkers move on and I think that for me what I am doing right now with Breathe and with every single thing I'm working on and this podcast included is trying to get a little bit closer to figuring out what it is I actually care about so that I, so that I can actually wake up in the morning with a, a larger sense of purpose. That's interesting, right? You go through a school system, and then, and then you have to figure out what what you want to do with the rest of your life. Like, uh, like you were saying, um, you know, uh, venture, uh, what, what venture capital? What were you doing? Um, investment banking. Investment banking, right? Um, I had the same thing with like engineering. Like, I worked at Honeywell, and for everyone on the outside, it seemed like I made it. This is it. This is the rest of your life. But I was like 24, right? And uh, and it seemed like I was old, but there's 24 and there's 70, and like that huge gap in between. What am I supposed to do with that, right? And so, so I think I think like trying to figure out like okay, well now, like yeah, all these other people think that I made it to something, but I know personally that this is only like the first step. Uh, but I don't know what direction I'm actually wanting to head and where, where, where do I really even want to go. And I feel like um, everybody is lost in that same way and then everybody is also, uh, you know, on the micro level, faking it that they're not lost. And so like when you're talking to them mm. and they're talking to you about their job and all this stuff, like, you know, if you ask them, like, oh, okay, what are you going to do in 10 years? Like, I feel like very few people will have an answer for you. And, and I... It, in, in, it's it's contradictory. It's it's a uh, um, it's Zen in that you you also still need that vision though. You need that ten year vision, not plan, but ten year vision, or twenty year vision, and then and then that that hopefully if that vision is large enough and if it if it if it uh, um, sinks deep enough into your soul, I guess if it connects deep enough with you, that it'll drive you like that. You know, like those people who are insanely driven to do something that we hear about uh, and, and, and maybe like one day you'll get there as well um, but then you know like it's as an engineer for example like I I when I develop products it's very difficult for me to actually engineer that vision uh, it's difficult for me to like say like oh time trainer could be this or breathe could be that so like if you when you were asking me like oh what do you think we could do with breathe with like the apple watch and all that stuff like the only kind of answers that i have for you are what is the technology that's available and what is it that i think that we could possibly improve on but it's not revolutionary mm. and so my my battle is to get to that revolutionary like how do i have a big enough vision um, and I feel like some people don't have that battle. Some people have a huge vision, but they don't have the engineering skills to get them there. Mm. Uh, while I seem to have some engineering skills, I don't really know where I'm driving this car, you know? Um, but but to, to, you know, kind of wrap it up all the way back to the beginning, it's, mm -hmm. it's if I, I tell myself, like, okay, well, if I don't, 
if I don't focus too much on the latest Swift technology and learning that or like the latest way to do this on Coco or, or the latest, you know, thing, the latest JavaScript thing or the latest like uh, uh, language to do whatnot and etc. etc. Instead of focusing on that, if I were to spend my time um, on, on basically what breed you know the app that we made like one of those you know it, uh, one of the reasons that I I like this app is because it gives me an opportunity to practice uh, focus it gives me an opportunity to practice being uh, not uh, interrupt driven not being introductive and uh, and those are the kind of things that I feel like uh, if I if I work on those qualities and 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 the vehicle for those qualities the vehicle to be successful in focus and integrity and discipline and all these good qualities that everyone knows the words for but they don't actually know how to practice it the vehicle for that is is anything that I as a engineer would want it to be is it iOS okay then let me take iOS development to a level where I have focus and I have the ability to create a product in iOS and this much and then I'm hoping that independent of what happens in the future I have this foundation that I could bring into play but it's definitely not the balls deep uh, philosophy of life and I feel like that's that's where I, f I, I, I like our uh, partnership is that is that I can be the incremental disciplined um, you know person that kind of gets you there and then you can you know let your imagination you know run wild and like think of all these incredibly awesome visions on what to do and then I could tell you what's possible now and what's mm, possible yeah. in the future and what could be possible and like that's that's my contribution and and I've tried I've tried being the visionary and I've tried being like uh, the other roles in life and and they're hard <laughs> they're 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 you know you never know how difficult something is until you get into it just like you found out with showroom you know mm -hmm. and, and, and you find out with anything you, you try it and then yeah. you realize like oh crap like this is what everyone's talking about I appreciate that and, and I think that you do you do compliment my uh, my just style and strengths and weaknesses in a very good way and I think um, another thing that happened with showroom on top of just like the, the ego smashing at the end of it and stuff is that I was so far into the future in my in my vision for like what that could be that when it came time to like actually do the work now it felt like so far removed from what I was envisioning yeah. that it honestly just didn't feel like I was work like I didn't feel like what I was building was what I what I was building. Like I felt like this product that would I, that we started by built that we started building was in a completely different order of magnitude, like maybe two or three different orders of magnitude less interesting than the vision. And for me, what I've realized in that process is that no one actually there's no way to go from zero to vision. Like you have to like there's like zero to like incremental steps towards like milestones and then those milestones compound on top of each other and then may and, and then that vision may or may not play out but like at least it's keeping you going and and for me I thought that vision was that thing but now I replace that idea of the vision with purpose and it's like it's instead of instead of so even if I could you know I went on a hike like a couple months ago and I remember I texted you guys because um, I had this like vision while I was just like hiking. I like, got like runners high or something, and 
I, I, I was like telling you guys how cool would it be if like we did XYZ with Breathe and I think the specific thing I said was like what if Breathe was the portal that took people out of like just turned off their phone altogether and just right. made them just go into the moment for yeah. a second yeah. and like what if Breathe could just build like every single thing we built had that in mind and I had this kind of like grand vision for like this like basically like taking all the humans in a given area out of their phones for a moment just having them look around and just enjoy being people for a second and like it's like so surreal and it's so like imaginary but it felt very compelling right and like so nowadays I'm like I don't I, I don't have the ability I stop myself before I go too far ahead because I realize there's actually not much value into like thinking about how awesome things could be five years from now if I have no idea what that means today. So instead of vision, you're focusing on what? What was the word? Purpose. Purpose. Like the, the purpose. So for example, like with Breathe, there's a real purpose to me in, in getting people to disengage with the things that are making them anxious. I think we defined our purpose the other day as like... So the opportunity to give someone time to get out of anxiety or something yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like to disengage from to anxiety. To disengage from anxiety, yeah. And if, if, if that could be the guiding principle, is like what can we do to get people to disengage from anxiety? And that's like the overarch, overarching purpose. And then we mix that with like short miles, like visionary milestones for like three, what's the three month vision and what's the one year vision. And then on top of that, you're there to kind of say what's technically possible and what's not technically possible. Then I think it's possible that all those factors together can play into this harmonious uh, uh, team chemistry in which we know what's possible while still putting the cutting edge with technology while still doing something that matters, right? And and I think it's I think that just like a lot of relationships, you don't fall in love. I don't believe in love in first sight. I believe in like uh, being a compelled enough to find out more about the other uh, other person that you're seeing, and then over time you fall deeper and deeper in love. I think it's very similar with um, the career and your profession and your calling in life. And, and in that sense, I'm not saying breathe is not going to be that thing for us. I'm just saying that. The deeper we get into breathe, the better feel we will be getting about whether or not it is compelling to us, and whether or not it is that thing for us. Um, and and you have to show up. You just have to keep. It's like you can't fall in love with someone unless you go on dates. Right. Like if you never see the other person, it's kind of tough to fall in love, right? So like with with breathe, it's like if we don't keep shipping and you don't keep iterating, and we, we don't keep working. Of course, we're not going to fall in love with it because we're not doing the work and we're not actually right. showing up. Right. So. Um, even though we didn't get that initial momentum that we wanted and maybe the first date or two were kind of like um, they, they, they were maybe awkward and they were like you know I'm, I'm clearly talking proverbially or whatever theoretically here like but uh, or what's the word um, metaphorically um, even though the first metaphorical date like our major release didn't go as well as, po as possible each subsequent release, if we can keep learning and we can keep just staying true to that idea of getting people to disengage from anxiety, I just don't see how we could regret spending the time on this. You know? I like that, definitely. Like, um, like that's, that's uh, for me, I guess, like, you're right that it's not about the vision of, like, what this specific product can do. It's more of the purpose of like, what is it that I want to accomplish in this world, I guess? So what, is the, what is it that I want to contribute? Or, uh, you know, what is it that I want to get out of this world? And, and, then, and then how it happens is kind of uh, uh, 
product of like all these different factors that you can't control. And instead, when you when when you have a vision and you have a particular like I want this product to look like this, reality is gonna let you down, and you're not gonna get there. And then there's that disconnect, and then you're gonna feel like you felt like oh you know well this the, what we're doing right now is nowhere near what we could be doing or what we should be doing and all mm-hmm. this stuff and like then it's just frustrating. And I feel like that's that's uh, uh, that's 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 a very well-rounded way of, of going about it's it's that tightrope balance between uh, between looking out ahead of you and then also looking down to make sure that you know where to step and where not to trip and fall and all that totally stuff. it's it's like if, if to go back to the like the hiking analogy or whatever it's like looking into the distance for like those distant mountains like that you're tr- like the mountain you're trying to climb but then also knowing where you're going to be camping tonight and then also knowing how not to, to fall into your death like right. in the next few steps right, right. and it's it's that thing and plus it would be kind of boring if you knew exactly like what would be, would be happening at every right. state yeah, uh, like yeah. it's like working at a massive tech company and being handed out a perfect spec for something to build and all you have to do is implement it whereas in, in, in when you're an early stage developer a co-founding CTO or whatever you have to it's up to you it's creative it's art it's like every other type of art and art has to accomplish certain things while still being abstract and creative. And, and by definition, no one's done what we're trying to do before. And I've even talked to some people that work in product at other uh, mindfulness companies like Headspace. And the challenges that they're facing are, like they're on the cutting edge of this stuff and they still haven't figured out how to make notifications. Like how, how do you get someone to disengage from anxiety by getting them to engage with your thing? Right. And that's a very challenge, it's a hard problem to solve. Yeah. So there's something very interesting about that. And I think, like you said, um, like I, I remember when I, when I um, it was a different hike that I went on uh, at Big Sur and I went alone. I just took a Friday off and I went hiking. And I thought that, the, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to this like, state park and it's perfectly safe and preserved. And I remember I went on this four mile trail and like two miles in, it got like the, the, um, the trail, was, I was like 3,000 feet up and the trail was so narrow and there was so much bushes and there were entire pieces of the trail that were missing. And I actually had to like decide whether to turn around or whether to like jump ahead and like risk maybe falling or something. And that uncertainty made it so much better than like a boring ass trail that like I knew for sure that like it was going to be easy and I was just have to have to walk and like what, you know, so like for me the the process of entrepreneurship is is like ideally i mean if you're a professional entrepreneur and you're a professional technology um innovator it's no different than being a professional athlete or a professional anything it's like you're you're trying to put yourself at the edge of your ability and you're trying to be on the cutting edge of what's possible while just making shit happen like lebron james goes in every every nba finals game not sure if he's gonna like be able to deliver right like he's he's the best basketball player in the world and he still puts himself in positions where he's not sure if he can do it or not and when he left Cleveland to go to Miami he he took the most massive like embarrassment public relations hit that any professional athletes taken in a long time other than maybe Tiger Woods and um, and uh, Armstrong and what, what I'm getting at is like if you knew exactly how it was gonna play out it wouldn't be very interesting or exciting Um, so 
you know, going back to where your uh, question uh, know, half an hour ago about what, how I view jumping full into it is of course it makes it makes gives me butterflies and it makes me scared and it makes me want to throw up in some ways because it makes it brings up this fear this like legit ass fear that you don't get by having a regular job like a regular job your fear is like you might get let go or you might not get to work exactly what you want to work on or you might be not be able to like pay your bills and stuff but when you jump full into the starting a company you're literally like you're risking your life you're risking other people's lives you're risking careers um, and the payoff, regardless of success or failure, is amazing learning. And that's the reason that I think you should really start a company. Is like you want to you want to push yourself so far away from what you're used to that you're just gonna grow. Like you're gonna you're gonna actually. There's like um, there's this rule in physics. There's this thing called Parkinson's law. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Yeah. I think it's, it's used in the context of productivity uh, to say that a project will take up the amount of time you give it. So like it, uh, a pro, a pro, people will always wait. They will t- If you give them two months to complete a task, they will complete take two months to complete a task. If you give them a week to complete a task, they'll take a week to complete a task. And it, the same idea with physics is like um, a gas will occupy the size of the container that you put it in. And I think it's the same way with personal growth. And like, if you put your personal growth prospects in a box that is like, you know, the size of a tennis ball, then that's as big as you can get. Whereas if you put it in the size of like a geodome, then that's how big you can get. And you just cannot get to the size of a geodome if you keep yourself in a tennis ball. If that makes sense. That does make sense. And like that's that's one of the fears that I have as an incremental engineer sort of a thing is that like am I constantly just going from like oh I went from a racquetball to a tennis ball. And that's like a few <laughs> millimeters of extra, you know. And like maybe someday I could like, you know, get to a basketball. But like first maybe maybe I should go for a baseball, you know? And like and so those are that the like my my fear is that by the time that I die I'll only get so far. And I guess I, I kind of uh, make up for that fear by, by working on, um, by, by taking chances in a different way, I guess. Like mm-hmm. I take chances in, in, the, in the way that I approach uh, software engineering in, in that like, okay, here are all these ways of thinking about engineering, but is there a different way of thinking it? And I take chances in code, I take chances in, in a lot of things, and I'm hoping that these chances pay off uh, in, in, in the future. Um, yeah. Them, we ran an hour and a half in this thing. Any, any, you want any closing thoughts, anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I think uh, there's probably a lot. I just We can just, just do another episode at, yeah, at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're about to go to Bangladesh, Bangladesh, for, yeah. Bangladesh for a month. For a month. Yeah, yeah. And um, you get back. I get back uh, beginning June, of August. Beginning of beginning of August. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So let's plan to do. I'm sure you'll have some interesting. We can talk about that trip when you get back and um, hear like how it goes and and how you spend your time while you're there. Yeah, I don't know like what kind of uh, audience you have <laughs> here. So like uh, in this in this podcast, I think we covered. Um, engineering to product development to uh, what it is to be a CEO entrepreneur uh, philosophies of life and business um, 
uh, how to be successful or what even success is like we covered I think quite a few topics and and depending on your audience I, have, I mean like I love talking about so like that's one of the things that uh, that's one of the other uh, things that I do as an engineer this is how I take risks is that it's for me it's not again about about the specific language or the specific product or the specific platform but it's about the people working on the specific product it's the people using the product it's the people developing it uh, and and the entire industry around it and how people behave and what the the uh, uh, latest trends are you know mobile phones for example who knows how long they're gonna be around mm. are they gonna be, uh, last like two decades like computers did or are they just gonna be a next fad before you know oculus rift like takes over the world or something mm -hmm. you know, crazy like that so so like trying to understand that and like those kind of things the softer things because i've i've dealt with the hard engineering aspects of life long enough and like now i'm interested in like kind of taking that hard and combining it with the soft uh, and and really understanding like how everything fits together, and and why they fit that way. And it's really it's 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 um, uh, my I guess my endorphin rushes are are when I can like kind of have that aha moment in like oh this is why mm. this is happening in this industry or this is why you know like and that's why I like studying people like Steve Jobs and, and, mm -hmm. and like all these other innovators and, and disruptors in in how do they think like why was it that they were able to disrupt a uh, you know a system of thought that existed for hundreds of years and 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 it seemed like their ideas are such so simple but how is it that they were able to execute it and I think a lot of that execution is is a combination of like the team that you're working with uh, the products that you're building and the not the vision but the purpose that you have in life and again like you know are you a tennis ball or a basketball or are you like you know a biosphere dome sort of a thing um, yeah and, and I think to to to, uh, to wrap it up I mean the audience for this podcast is um, there's actually no really solid analytics platform for podcasts so I don't know who who's listening and I don't know uh, how many people are listening and I don't so it's it's kind of liberating in that sense that um, it's it's uh, I'm, I'm creating a podcast for the sake of creating a podcast not for any other um, I mean sure there's like a component of personal branding there's a component of just getting to like talk to people that I otherwise would not get to talk to like I have a really interesting uh, I have a couple of really interesting guests that um, are going to be on the podcast in the next couple months um, so it's giving me that but then on top of it, it's like this is a product. If you want to bring it full circle, like this this thing, um, we're sitting here, we're we're talking to each other. We would be doing this anyways, but we're recording it, and this is a digital product that is going to go out there and it's going to engage with at least a few humans. Um, and what they take from it is not in our hands anymore. And um, it's it's birthing every one of these episodes is takes a life of its own because you'll listen back to this um, a week from now, a month from now, maybe a year from now, and you'll have a little piece of history that is a product, like a little piece of memorabilia, and it speaks differently to different people. There might be things that we've said on this, this conversation that we just view as obvious and, and um, not very novel, but someone else might listen to it and it could maybe make them go, aha, like that aha moment that you have when you learn something, maybe this is that final straw for us, uh, one of the topics we discussed for someone else. So 
Um, I, I've realized from my blogging that I've been blogging for three years that there's I never have the ability to predict first of all which blogs are going to be popular and which are not, mm -hmm. and then I also don't have the ability to know to predict what content within each blog is going to resonate with people. I've had people send me messages or emails that say like certain pieces of it inspire them to quit their job or like to just try something else, and and they reach out to me like like I have answers or something, and I'm like no like listen like I was just thinking out loud, the fact that it resonated with you makes it worthwhile. But what happens now is, is in your hands and I don't wanna have that power over you. So like I wanna just, I wanna create something that, that uh, sparks an interesting conversation, maybe connects the dots for someone and just gives me an excuse to keep sitting down with interesting people like you and, and sharing these thoughts. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's a, great way, it's a great way of doing life, you know? It's, um, I feel like sometimes some people are so uh, waiting for that big thing to do that they miss out on these little things uh, that they can take a, uh, you know, an opportunity in doing. And that's why I personally love mobile development because it is such a very easy small thing that you can do and it could potentially impact mm -hmm. so many people in so, in so many ways. Similar with podcasting, similar with like any other technology, blogging, any of the other you know social stuff that's mm -hmm. out there right now. Awesome. Thanks for doing it. Thank you're welcome. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Have a good trip. Thanks. <laughs>